Here we go. The John Turley and Sherry Elliger show starring Sherry Elliger. Wow. Somebody's anxious. Mm-hmm. You're on with Dinah Shore and Mitzi Gaynor. I hope that's okay. <laughs> Those are great choices. Okay. Especially Mitzi Gaynor. <laughs> God, it's time again. Yeah, I did try to hold back from revealing how a weird upbringing I created for myself. I say that because we basically raised ourselves like wolves. Apparently, my mom and dad gave up on us when we were eight and nine. But we used to watch the Dinah Shore show, and every time she would say, "Well, isn't that wonderful?" I was I was allowed to punch my brother in the chest. <laughs> Fun game. We used to call her Dinosaur instead of Dinosaur. I know. <laughs> my mom would really, watch her. We're really related. <laughs> my mom would watch her. My yeah. sister and I'd be like, oh, my God, Dinosaur's on. <laughs> Should have come over to my house. We would have punched you in the chest. Yeah. All right. Let's get to it. Uh, State of the Union, 23 million Americans tuned in. Uh, I think it's a drop of, what, like 10 million? They think the numbers will go up a little bit when they finally do the real Nielsen, but that's sort of the first scan. So... 23 million of us tuning in to watch the oldest man ever elected. I always say that. People give me a hard time for that. But they love identity politics there at the White House. So, you know, first black, first lesbian, first LGBTQ, first, first this. So first, first old oldest guy ever elected. And um, he, I like to have a little something, whatever they're giving him backstage, because that would really help some days. Here he is. Um, this is the biggest reaction that he got. People, they took him off script when... You talk about Social Security and Medicare, understand that by 2035, I think Social Security's broke. And Medicare also going broke. The average person puts in about $135,000, pulls out about three seventy-five. Those numbers are about five or six years old, so they're even worse now. They have to touch these entitlements. They've got to do something. They have to come up with it. Just this idea that, oh, it's, it's perfectly fine. So Biden drops this Instead one. of making the wealthy pay their fair share, some Republicans... Some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. Let me give you, anybody who doubts it, contact my office. I'll give you a copy. I'll give you a copy of the proposal. That means Congress doesn't vote. Well, I'm glad to see you. No, I tell you, I'm, I enjoy conversion. You know, it means if... If Congress doesn't keep the programs the way they are, they go away. Other Republicans say, I'm not saying it's a majority of you. I don't even think it's even a significant. But it's being proposed by individuals. No, it's I'm not. I'm politely not naming them, but it's being proposed by some of you. Look, folks, the idea is that we're not going to be we're, we're not going to be moved into being threatened to default on the debt if we don't respond. Folks. And then they went on to say, you know, okay, we're not going to touch it. And they all stood up and gave a standing ovation because everybody realizes, oh, my God, old people vote. And don't take old people's Social Security away. Don't take Medicare away from them. So let's all stand up and just be completely blind to the idea that both programs are going broke. But um, was the media having a big field day that they interrupted him and heckled him on that one? 
I don't think that that was really what the media was uh, really reacted to. And and I've read uh, several things about this. It was more, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, I mean, not exactly a class act. You have to say that. I mean, she really, the fact that she was so um, aggressive and screaming liar and things like that, I don't really think it was completely inappropriate that they – had the outbursts that they did about that particular issue because it is a very, very few number of people that have, I think, proposed anything to him about eliminating Social Security or Medicare. I think it's on the table in mm-hmm. terms of what they need to do to, to to fix it. But that part didn't bother me as much as her screaming out and then some of the other heckling and things like that. I just think it's not the it's it's just not the place for it. And I think the fact that, you know, Kevin McCarthy shushed everybody and tried to get everybody mm-hmm. to calm down. Marjorie Taylor Greene really advocated for Kevin McCarthy during the time when he was up for mm-hmm. the speaker. So they're sort of allies. But the, what they say is that before the State of the Union, they got the Republicans together and they said, look, keep it quiet. OK, let's every there's going to be cameras on you and hot mics. Everybody's got that. So. Please just watch what you're doing, and then it all sort of broke loose. Yeah, here she, folks. Oh, liar, liar, liar. Okay, look. When you win with the amount of votes that she won with, this goes back to something Slade Gordon said to me and to Tom. Gosh, twelve years ago, ten years ago. I said, "Why are things? Why so such animosity?" Between the two sides, he said, because what happens when they did the redistricting, they set it up that you could win with 80 percent or 75 percent. You don't have to worry about the 25 percent or 10 percent. You win with you went in with this cudgel and you could just be as radical right or radical left as you want, because those are the people that put you in. So they're basically telling you, you know, give them hell. You better scream at him. You better do this to do that. And you bleh. You know, I'm sure Nancy Pelosi's friend said, hey, do something really big that goes viral, you know, viral. So like when Trump finishes his speech, stand up in your white dress and then tear it up in sections. I think she didn't realize that I guess I don't have the hand strength to rip this thing up in one shot. So I have to do it in chunks, you know, but people are trying to do the viral thing. So she does it. Uh, Taylor Green does stuff all the time, puts it up. I mean, uh, all of this politics has become all just sort of showmanship, but. Um, overall, did you watch the whole thing or did you, what did you do? You listen to it? No, I lo- watched the whole thing. I watched all, all of right. it and I was moderately entertained. And as much as I think it is, <laughs> some of this stuff is really inappropriate and, and, ah. and, and doesn't show uh, the respect that, that is needed. Even if you disagree, I have to tell you, it kept my interest. If they hadn't oh. been heckling, I probably would have turned it off. Um, that he, this was one of the longest speeches in, uh, in, in history, or at least in the last 25 uh. years. He had 7.5 thousand words. Um, mm. and compared to the shortest one, which was Jimmy Carter, he had about 3.5 thousand words when he started, uh, his speech. So, uh, it was, yeah, I, I mean, did you watch? Did they, did they count this as a word? Make no mistake. If you try anything to raise the cost of presenting jobs, I will veto it. Save the figure of Antibla. What was that again? F-R-J-U-I-E-H-A-G-H-N. I think it's a Swedish or Norwegian cookie. 
Um, and then the other sad thing was uh, Tyree Nichols, the kid who got killed. His parents were there. Yeah. And he said the wrong name. <clears throat> the wrong name. I think you call him Tyler. But look, he stood up there for a good long time. And gives me a chance to play Mr. Professor. I don't even have any music cue for that. Just came up with that. Andrew, get ready to have a stinger for Mr. Professor section. You ready, Sherry? Are you the teacher sitting on the edge of the desk with the, the, with the loose and tie? Okay, go ahead, yes, Professor. Like, for, like from room 222. <laughs> Show of hands of anybody that remembers that. I've Stop got my hands up. One second, Andrew. Karen Valentine. Karen Mr. Valentine. Dixon, Mr. Dixon, would you mind telling my parents why you got a C on the final exam? That's my favorite line from that. Um, when you fail, I fail. Okay, room 222, Mr. Dixon and the rest of the gang. All right, here we go. So this is uh, Biden and corporate taxes. We pay for these investments for our future by finally making the wealthiest and biggest corporations begin to pay their fair share. Just begin. Look, I'm a capitalist. I'm a capitalist, but I'm pay capitalist. your fair share. I think a lot of you at home, a lot of you at home. Are... Andrew, get ready with that other cut, which is lunch of economics. Agree with me and many people that, you know, the tax system is not fair. It is not fair. Look, the idea Hold on. that in 2020. Listen. 55 of the largest corporations in America, the Fortune 500, made $40 billion in profits and paid zero in federal taxes? Zero? Folks, simply not fair. But now, because of the law I signed, billion-dollar companies have to pay a minimum of 15%. God love them. 15%. That's less than a nurse pays. Learn some economics. He's talking about, oh, yeah, thank you. Hang on. So we also talk about, you know, teachers pay more in taxes and firemen pay more in taxes. Okay. So corporate income taxes are going to get it from magic corporate income tax. So we went to Larry Summers explaining corporations don't the pay economists taxes. Economists have been thinking and writing and debating about this for uh, 75 years now. And I think the yeah. conclusion that economists have come to is largely that it is substantially a tax on shareholders in the short run. Okay. So, music please, Andrew. Who are the shareholders of these corporations? Well, let's take California, for instance. Imagine if the teacher's retirement system of western Sacramento and New York State had a retirement pension fund. Guess where they are? Exxon and other 15 of the top corporations that Joe Biden was talking about. So, if you want to tax the corporations, you are in effect taxing the teachers. That's right, because the teachers have the pension funds, and the pension funds have the money, and that's where it would be collected at the corporation and then paid for by the folks at the bottom. Many of their shareholders, I mean, what people say is, well, why tax corporations? You want to tax the income, tax the shareholders. 
but it's actually hard unions. for the United States to tax the Singapore pension fund. It's actually yep. hard for the United States to tax Stanford University. It's actually hard for the United States to reach into Larry Summers' 401k plan. That's right. So when they talk about, oh, nurses and firemen are paying a higher tax rate, let's tax these corporations, you will eventually tax the firemen, the nurses, the teachers, the beloved folks that Joe Biden rattles off because he desperately needs their vote. So he lies to them. He should probably learn some economics. Corporations don't pay taxes. They collect taxes and then pass them on either to the shareholders, to you, the customer, or to eventually the employees. Because if you tax and take more money away from them, they don't invest. They don't spend more money in research and development. They don't grow. So they don't employ more people. People. Plus, they don't produce more products that help to create competition in the marketplace, which helps to drive down the cost of all products. But if you take the money from somewhere, taking it from the quote-unquote evil corporations that don't pay any taxes, you're eventually hurting all of us, not the imaginary, awful, greedy, horrible corporations. Learn some economics. Learn some economics. All right. Questions? Anyone? Anyone? Yes, in the back. With the big hand. Wow, wow. Whoa, the lady with the big hand. Yes, in the back. Right there. <laughs> okay. Yes. How come no one brings this up? Well, what would you like them to know? Who are well, you assuming no one? Well, when I when I when you educate people like this and you point out the fact that there are so many holes in this whole concept of taxing the rich and and all of this why is it that this isn't something that's that is brought up when republicans are discussing this it seems like this is information that's kind of people are ignorant to they don't really understand that part of it they don't get all they know is elizabeth warren clapping her hands you know furiously whenever somebody says you know yes we're going to tax the rich and we hate billionaires and, and all of this it just seems like it's simple math right they're rich they need to pay more that'll funnel into the economy the economy will get stronger we'll be able to have more money and they're greedy you don't really hear yes. the other side well, but, of it. Mm-hmm. So you're wondering, why don't you hear those? Andrew, music, please. Thank you for the question. About 7% of the total amount of revenue collected by the federal government comes from corporations that are paying. Now, here's what happens. Here's they get around it. What they do is... They pay not on their profit, but when you run all the way through, all the way at the bottom, whatever's left over, they're paying on that. But what they're able to do is take on tremendous amount of debt, borrowing, and then they're able to write off the interest, which drives down how much money they make. So in effect, they're using the law, which are written for them, which are written for them by Congress, which is paid for by lobbyists. The billions and billions of dollars the corporations spend to make sure their guy gets elected that writes the laws that benefits the corporations. And that's how that happens. They're just following the law after they bought and paid for congressmen and women to write the laws to benefit them. Learn some economics. Learn some economics. Thank you. All right? That's how it works. Thank you but for it, clarifying listen, that, Professor. The, you're welcome. Sure, he, I'd like to see you after class. <laughs>
Is it my big hand that blocked other students' hands? Is that the problem, Professor? I talked to you about that. And that sweater of yours. All right, listen. <laughs> the one tied around your waist. Uh, I just... It's just easy to be able to say, oh, go get it from that guy over there, the rich guy, the rich guy. The reason is you don't have money to be rich. You know, they love the, they, oh, we love we have over in Europe, in Europe, in Norway, in Sweden, in Switzerland. Good. You like that? You know, the average middle class person pays in taxes like 57%. Mm-hmm. So you want to have free health care and college? Good. 57% or 57 cents of every dollar you make will go to the government. Then you can ex- Love what they're doing over there in the Scandinavian countries. And All in, right. in France. <clears throat> in Paris, I think it's like oh. 70%. It's crazy. That wasn't good. My best friend. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I'm wearing my um, Mr. Dickinson Room 22 giant sweater. It's kind of a Starsky and Hutch thing with a belt in front. Yeah, da, da, da. All right, John Curley, Sherry Elliker Show, starring Sherry Elliker and Diana Shore. All right. Uh, Mitzi Gaynor just left. All right, let's see. The, uh, you're writing. That's good, good, good. We'd love to hear from you. Somebody gets that letter of the day. Um, Chris is into the rest of the week. Jacob and I don't know if we're going to do the great uh, know-it-all quiz on Friday, Sherry, because you're, you're bailing out on me. Yep, taking a yep. couple days. I got it. You got it. All right. The fun little article in the uh, Wall Street Journal, how diversity policies fail science. I tell you, I read the first two paragraphs of sitting in my chair in the morning. I laughed out loud. This guy is applying for the job at Texas Tech University in biology, right? So he's a Mm -hmm. biologist, probably not the most outgoing individual, studies science, knows all about mitosis and meiosis and the extent of my biology knowledge. Um, <laughs> and then, well, I guess they're interviewing him for the job, right? Mm-hmm. And what yeah. happens to that gentleman? Well, there's several examples of this. One of them is that this guy was flagged by th- this one thing, but they were flagged by a department search for not knowing the difference between equality and equity. Uh-huh. Another person uh, was flagged because he used the repeated use. It was the repeated use of he instead of they. <laughs> That's right. Then they see they adopted this DEI motion. It requires yeah. and strongly weights a diversity statement from all candidates. Uh-huh. So somebody else said, "Okay, express yourself. How do you, you know?" Uh, to think about race and all of that stuff. And he said, well, listen, I, I don't really think I need to worry about the DEI stuff because it's not really an issue because I treat everybody equally. That also <laughs> with that flag. Right, with that board, the floor opens up and he goes flying through the floor uh, yes. out into the parking lot. Yeah, the mention that DEI yeah, is not an issue, right? Because he expects he respects all the students and treats them all equal, equally. Yeah, so I assume that's that I didn't get the job. And... But here's who did get the job. The one praised, they were praised for the fluency of identity poli- politics, using things like unconscious bias, inclusivity in the lab, and work to prevent microaggressions. So it was more important or equally important for these candidates to be able to be fluent in these kinds of, this kind of terminology and this speak about, you know, diversity and equity and all of that stuff as they're, as they're accomplishments or their education in biology right 
that mattered as much. Yeah, one cell biology candidate was given a red flag for allegedly using microaggressions. So I... I wanted to see, so this is happening all across. It's been going on for a while now. The most famous video that popped up was in Yale uh, at the, in the quad or whatever. Two, one, two professors, both married, were, one of them had tweeted out something about, you know, Halloween costumes, what to wear, and let's be honest, it's just a fun day or something like that. And then the students screamed at these two people for, I think, an hour and a half. And then they ended up losing their job. That was sort of the first one. Also, a guy out in Evans, um, uh, Evergreen, uh, I forget his name. He was a professor there at Evergreen. He also was a, when an early victim of all of this diversity, equity, inclusion stuff. And he loses his job because he was not going to help the kids, the students that were protesting. He was going to teach anyway, so they went after him. He leaves. He's written a book all about it. So I wanted to see, like, I, I saw that uh, Heather McDonald uh, from the Manhattan Institute in Hoover, and uh, she writes her city journal. She was talking about uh, this whole, this I don't know. It's, it's this toxicity that exists inside the the colleges, and she points out students are wondering why is my college tuition so expensive? Look no further than the diversity bureaucracy at the University of California at Los Angeles. Their vice chancellor for equity, diversity, and inclusion makes over four hundred four hundred thousand dollars a year. This is mind-boggling. This is multiples more than your average faculty member makes. It could, it could pay for free tuition for four years for 12 undergraduates. And that vice chancellor of equity, diversity, inclusion has nothing to do because there isn't a single bigot in, on a university campus today. Every faculty search is one desperate effort to find qualified females or so-called underrepresented minorities, this refers to blacks and Hispanics, who haven't already been snapped up by better endowed schools. So what do the vice chancellors of diversity, equity, inclusion do? Because they're certainly not routing circumambient racism and sexism. What they're doing is drumming into students' head this false narrative of victimology. Yeah, she was pointing out in one of her speeches about how these students at Yale saying they're oppressed. And she's like, oppressed? <laughs> you're, you're going to Yale. You're at Yale. Mm-hmm. But they, she said, but they really believe it. They really believe that they are somehow marginalized and oppressed. And uh, different people that are asking questions that this public speech that she was giving they said well how does this happen and why are they do this because they just they need to make these students feel as if something is over top of them holding them back it's fighting the system and that it's the only way to get them to fight back but if they were to look at how their life is if you're a student at yale you know i, I think you're probably one of the least oppressed people in the world and colleges don't oppress these these students and they just have total control over what's taught in class. The professors that teach what was it last year? We did the story about the guy that uh, was he the math professor that wasn't going to give everybody a break, or a science professor that wasn't going to give him a break on the test. And then the students demanded that he be fired because he was mm-hmm. he was grading hard. Yeah, 
Well, I'm, and I mean, look about what well, look what happened in Virginia, where the merit scholarships were held back because they didn't want kids to feel bad. So they held them back. So kids couldn't couldn't list that on their college applications as having gotten one because mm-hmm. not everybody got one, even though they worked the hardest. Do you think this is do you think this is in part, John, the necessity for college kids to have something to rebel against to have a cause mm. to have something i mean they don't there's not the vietnam war there's not yeah. you know uh to ronald reagan oh, and, and yeah women's and, yeah. rights there's there's not that that stuff has sort of it's obviously gone by the wayside but do you think that this is sort of the, uh, a thing that happens yeah. at that age it's the need to feel like you're fighting something yeah i think that that does happen doesn't it? did you ever do that i remember i went to a documentary i was at ithaca college for a couple weeks and it was a whole thing about how ge makes triggers on nuclear bombs and then for like about three days i refused to use the ge microwave oven known as the radar range at the ithaca cafeteria i was like yeah i don't think so ge i'm gonna eat this cold (laughs) i never had cause went to college in the 80s it's like what was like i was was worried my hair my hair wasn't big enough sherry (laughs) Sherry, here's your problem you you i guess you were using the ge microwave ovens you didn't care you know you're what you're part of the problem if you're not part of the the solution shut up and eat that bacon cold No, I don't. I don't remember there being any kind of movement at college at all in the eighties. I mean, just didn't. People just. I don't. I, I don't know that I wasn't tapped into it or yeah. whatever. But no, that was not my concern. I wasn't fighting anything except, you know, wanting to get Your through bad, it. Bad hair. Aaron Rodgers seems like an interesting cat. Quarterback, uh, Green Bay Packers. You know, a lot of athletes after they finish their career, they go into the depression. They really struggle with the next direction in life. Think about it. They've been playing this game since they were like eight years old or something. Make millions and millions and millions of dollars. Everybody loves them. So Rogers, who seems to be a thinking sort of guy, he decides that this is what he's going to do when he retires. Let's see. Or is it a cave? Where it's, is- a, it's a room. It's a little house. Yeah. A two-way... Uh mirror no like a like a little slot that they'll they'll drop in uh, some food for you but it's uh but it's it's uh, isolation and darkness no you know no music no nothing are they recording you and your actions how many people are in there well a lot of questions are throwing at him hang on <laughs> uh, just myself you can wear adult uh, diapers if you want but there's actually a bathroom yeah. okay it's a dark room it's a dark room. He's in darkness for four days and nights. He's not locked in. He can leave at any time, but the purpose of it is to completely shut yourself into isolation. So mm-hmm. you want to be alone with your thoughts, meditation. A lot of times you'll hallucinate because yeah. you're just surrounded in darkness. There's no stimulus whatsoever. Well, he's not in a float tank, is he? You know those tanks no. you can float in? No. Yeah, I've done that. Um, uh, no, he's not. He's just in a very dark little, I think he said a little house, a little room. Mm-hmm. And that's just supposed, you're just supposed to be there with your thoughts. And there's, because you you lose your sense of day and night and what time it is and all of oh, that. Yeah. You're only left with, with yourself. And so it, mm-hmm. it creates 
I, I it would be maddening to me. I could never do something like that. I don't think that's... How about if uh, I gave you a Sudoku? A Sudoku. And a what's pen, that? Not a pen. Sudoku? Mm-hmm. A little magazine, you figure out the numbers. You never done a Sudoku? Anyone? I look it up to Chris. Sudoku? Chris? Sudo- yeah, yeah, I've played Sudoku before. Sudoku. I said, I may have been mispronouncing it. Okay. Wow, Sherry, revealing a little something about. Why don't you go into the dark room for four days and figure out what a Sudoku is? <laughs> um, Would you do it? It's, I think it sounds horrifying. I, went, I signed up for this thing. My therapist told me to do this thing. It was a seven days of silence, and it was in Spokane. And you're in a house with. 10, 12 other people, and no one is allowed to talk. And it's absolute silence. And you're cooking with these people, sitting, cleaning, doing, just reading, but you're not talking. No, no talking. And he said, if you can get past the second day, you will start to feel better about the fourth or fifth day. And it's amazing. It's just really something. But by the second day, what's happening in your head, you're like, oh, God. It's your head voice. It's like... Oh, God, it's that guy. Oh, look at him. Oh, oh, I think I'll just look in the refrigerator for a while. Oh, is that skin milk? So you're, you're, <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. You're just like judging everyone in your head, and you're like, I can't stand this! And uh, I left after two days. It, that's hard to do. It's hard to do when you're an extrovert, especially, because you want to engage with people. My friend Molly and I, one New Year's Eve, we went to uh, a because I was sort of into Buddhism for a while, I went to a Buddhist temple, mm. oh. and it was you were supposed to stay silent till midnight. Well, we got in trouble because we, we couldn't even get that far. It was like it was like ten thirty, and we're sort of uh. signaling to each other, and then we had to do this candle walk, and we started mm. talking during the candle walk. It's like God, oh, I wish I was at a bar. Uh-uh. This is awful. I hate this. And um, yeah, we were we were told either you you ladies have to comply with the silence or you need to leave. Mm. Nami yeah, Renge Kiyo. Yeah, not not uh, not easy for people that like to talk. No. <laughs> or judge people while they're looking at skim milk. I had a friend of mine when in New York City said I said, So you become a Buddhist? Yeah, yeah, I'm really into it. I said, what was the trend? why why the what happened? Uh, I just heard that if you chant for stuff, you get stuff. And I've been ch- I chant every morning and I find a parking spot every single day. This is the best religion in the world. It's like Okay, there you go. Shanning for a parking spot.